right, Trinity Church. I just feel like it's been such a rich morning. I'm just going to pray and we're going to go home. It was so good. Just loved the different aspects of people that are moving into some new stages of growth and mission and then others that have been serving so faithfully that we get to celebrate and are going on to a different type of mission. So just a rich, rich morning already, and it's just a privilege to get to be here with you and continue in our service. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. We, as you can maybe tell, kind of via the video, kind of up on the back, we are beginning a brand new series today back in the Gospel of John. I personally have loved the way we have just kind of been in John as our kind of uh, default, but then at times stepped away for other series. So if you want to open your Bibles, if you have a Bible today, John chapter 13. If you didn't get a copy of the notes, we have some paper copies in the back. If you have our church app, you can open that app and then go to resources, sermon notes, today's date. You'll find that. You can follow along with us. So make your way kind of there. I'm excited to jump back in and uh, look at that passage with you today. Before we do, let me remind you, next Sunday is a Sunday that we have made much of over a long season of time. It is called the Sanctity of Life Weekend. I kind of feel like it's really powerful as well that it's linked to and can at least calendar-wise lands on MLK Weekend as well. But within that, there is this focus, focus that we make about just bringing attention to how God values all life. We are made in the image of him, and therefore, as image bearers, we have worth. And not just we who are sitting here today, we who are online, we who are out in the pavilion, all humanity. And we make much of that as a church. And the way we make much of it, we love this phrase, that we believe that it's, it's really more purposeful, more valuable to light candles rather than curse the darkness. So we light candles. And so next week when you come, you're going to find out some ways we have shifted our methodology of how we do it. But we are once again in the next couple of weeks going to make a focal point of giving you the opportunity to give generously to our local San Bernardino Family and Pregnancy Center. And we're going to do some things just to bless their socks off over the next few weeks. So just want to give that thought to you. want you to hear the theology behind it. And we just get excited this time of year of being able to go, God, you value all life. We want to be people because we are your people. We are your followers. We want to value it as much as you do. So be looking for that. We'll give you some more details next week, but just wanted to, to sow that thought. As we dive in today to John chapter 13, what we're going to begin seeing is this is the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end of Jesus's ministry, especially, and I find it so fascinating, where all the other gospels give a few verses, maybe a chapter, to this sequence. John, the last of the gospels written, John gives chapters. Chapter 13 to 18 is literally over the course of just a few hours. Just process that for a minute. Six chapters in your Bible in John's gospel alone dedicated to just a few hours of Jesus' mentorship, discipleship of his disciples. That's powerful. These, are, these words matter. These words are very meaningful, and we want to dive into them over these next few weeks and really kind of see, God, what do you want to teach us? What should we, as your disciples now, we weren't one of the 12 in this upper room, but we are today the result of that gospel, that great message continuing out over peoples and generations and places to land here in Southern California. 
And so we, in 2022, so we want to make much of that, and we want to see, God, what do you want to show us? And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do today. He's going to show. Little tell, mostly show. And he's going to show the disciples what humility is in a very powerful way and in a way that they were never expecting. So let's do this. Let's dive into the text. I'm going to do things a little different today. I'm just going to read all the way through our passage, and then we'll go back and look at different aspects of it. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come. Remember all throughout John's gospel, that big theme, it's not yet my hour. Now the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, in typical Simon Peter format, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Give me a bath. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I have a quote for you right at the beginning today. Humility is the only certain defense against humiliation. Just think about that for a second. I found these two words really fascinating. They obviously have the same root. They look very similar. Humility and humiliation. They both talk about an intensely lowly position, yet one is a virtue this concept of someone who is humble, who demonstrates humility, and one is something that is intensely mean and, and difficult towards other people, to humiliate them. And the only real distinction between these concepts is who is the volitional person? Is it someone choosing to take a low estate, or is it someone else making them feel lowly? Humili humility and humiliation. Very interesting concepts that have so much that are so different from one another, but yet so much that's so close. And so today what we want to look at is we want to look at Jesus' humility 
that he demonstrates in ways that should, by the time we're done today, just the simple reality of the word of God should blow you away that Jesus did what he did and that he did it as an example. That's really the part that's where the rubber's gonna meet the road today. So a simple question when you think about this concept of humility, what is it that is below you Or who is it that is below you that were you to serve in such a way, were you to serve such a person, you would be humiliated? That's a great question to think about. What is too low? Who is someone that would cause you to feel such frustration that if you were to serve them, you would feel humiliated? According to this passage, according to Jesus' example today, we'll see that it should be no thing and no one. That would be too low for me to get under. I think about all the roles. I don't know if you've ever thought this way. If you've grown up in Southern California, if you thought about the different ways that would be fun to work at Disneyland. Now, some of you go, I don't want to work at Disneyland. I want to go there. Okay, so working is not an option. I don't really even want to think about it. But if you have, if you've ever daydreamed, I was on staff with a guy who in college, when he's down at Biola, was working at Disneyland, had some really fun stories to share. And so maybe you think about some of the roles. Maybe for some of you, you've thought, you know, I'd love to be one of the characters that comes out and woo, and everyone kind of gathers. Some of you, it's like, literally, that's the worst thing ever, I know. But for some of us, a little more intro- or extroverted, that could be really fun. And kids come by and they take their picture with you. Others might go, oh, it'd be really fun to be in one of the parades and to be one of the people on a float or kind of dancing around as they go. For others, you kind of go, you know, it'd be really fun. I'm kind of a, a manager type person. And if you've been around Disneyland, you will see people in more plain clothes. They just have a name tag and they're walking around just checking on everything to make sure it's working. My family's had a running joke that they've said to me, Dad, someday when, if, maybe uh, is the better word, but if you're ever a cute old man, you should be one of the people who takes tickets at the front. Why? So we can all have passes to go. That would, yeah, that's about right. So that's kind of been our family joke. But the interesting thing is of all the roles that you think about that might be fun to serve at Disneyland, this isn't one of them. Right? You've noticed, and they have a little more sophisticated system with the longer pole. I didn't have one at home, sorry. But, but as you notice people up and down Main Street, all around the park, that's why there's no scrap of anything out of place, because they are constantly, you're walking around kind of doing your popcorn, and it's falling everywhere, they're right behind you. This isn't the job you want. And the reason why you don't, and the reason why I don't, is not only because it's backbreaking and difficult, but it's probably the lowest of the low. And in a challenge to us today to try to even get in the sandals a little bit of this upper room situation, the beginning of the Passover celebration, it is hard for us to find a cultural equivalent to foot washing. We're gonna give you another one in a little bit. But it's hard to understand how lowly, how base this thing was that Jesus did. That's the, the persona, that's the role, that's the posture that he takes. And I don't even mean to use the word persona as though it's something he was just kind of pretending to be for a little bit. This was Jesus' constant way, but especially this illustration of what it looks like 
and what he models for his disciples. This is how you should treat one another. What we'll see today is the God-man who humbles himself and he calls us as his followers to do likewise. This picture of servant leadership, this picture of what Jesus had said all along, I have come to seek and save the lost. I have come to serve, not to be served. This is just the, another demonstration of this reality, and he calls us into this lifestyle, into this behavior, not just once in a while, but if we will embrace it, he says it's a life that God will bless. We're not going to take a lot of time to define humility today because it's so well described in the passage, but here's a few what some people have said about humility. Humility is like underwear, essential but indecent if it shows, meaning if you're kind of flaunting how humble you are. I love this quote. When science discovers the center of the universe, a lot of people will be disappointed to find they are not it. Yeah. But I like this quote best. We're going to quote C.S. Lewis a couple times today. Listen to this powerful quote about humility. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably you will think about him, probably all that you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. What a great describer of humility. It is not this self-loathing. It is not this preoccupation with how lowly I am. It is not thinking of self but primarily thinking of others. So we're gonna look at how humility was demonstrated by Jesus. John chapter 13 gives us this great context of what's going on. People refer to John 13, probably through at least verse, or chapter 16, maybe even all the way to 18, as this idea of the upper room discourse. And so in it, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples. He's very intentional He's asked them to go ahead and prepare this room just for them. And what we have come to know this as is not just another Passover celebration, but the Last Supper. That's what this is in context of this conversation that they're going to have. And the reality is, is here's what Jesus knows in this passage tells us. He is fully aware of what's about to happen. And the bleakest hour is coming before the dawn. Jesus knows that literally in hours from this conversation, what is about to befall him. And he knows not only what is he is to expect, he's been sharing it and telling people all along, but he also knows that every single person around the table with him will desert him, will walk away in his hour of greatest need. That's a powerful thing, and it's powerful that John lets us in on that. John, by the way, the same gospel writer who is going to be one of those who's going to walk away. Think about the humility of writing this down as realizing his own blame, his own fault in it. But yet what's on the other side of this next sequence of events is a, a completion of what he came to do and then being reunited with the Father. That's, that's the sequence of what's about to happen. 
A couple of significant things related to the meaning of humility are found at the very beginning of chapter 13. Look in your notes. First off, humility can only exist in relationship to others. Humility only exists in relationship to others. Let me, let me make sure I'm clear on what I'm saying. Meaning that it's hard to tell if someone is humble or is demonstrating humility by themselves. It kind of doesn't make sense. Meaning if you step onto a bus and you notice someone sitting by themselves, that would not scream any essence of humility. But it's when you're on the bus and you see, maybe you're walking on and you see someone who is sitting stand up and give you their seat. Now humility is demonstrated in the context of relationship with other people. Humility is not something you can observe when traffic is just moving fine, but when you're coming, like what's happening right now, it's been so fun, isn't it, to be on the 10 freeway headed west and have to get on the 210, and those lanes combine, and every single time it's a stop, your map turns red on that on-ramp, but there are people who, though knowing that two lanes are going to be one, keep moving all the way up to the front, you know exactly who you are. That is not the demonstration of humility. But getting in line and going, we're gonna be here for a while. So that's my point. Humility exists in the context of relationship. Can't really practice humility by yourself. So an essential aspect of humility is other people. Therefore, as a result, you cannot barricade yourself away from people and ever hope to demonstrate humility towards others. Though you might not do that literally, and it's been a challenge during COVID to not be barricaded for a host of reasons, but how many of us, even outside of COVID, we retreat behind the walls of appropriateness, in air quotes. We retreat behind the walls of, I'm just shy, and we fail to connect with people in a way that allows you to demonstrate humility towards them. The other day, I'm usually rushing around, and that, will be the, that would be the, the card that Todd plays too often. I'm just too busy. But the other day, I wasn't even in a rush. And I was over in the um, Sprouts parking lot over here off of uh, 6th Street. And, and I was walking towards a less healthier option called Nothing Bunt Cakes, okay? <laughs> Very clear on that point. Um, but as I was walking towards, there's uh, some sort of thing out towards the front, and there, I noticed uh, a woman sitting on top of this thing, and she was weeping. And I remember I, I, I had my gaze up pretty often, so I noticed it from afar, and what was going through my head is this would be the kind of opportunity just to walk up and say, I don't know you, but I can tell you're upset. Is there anything I can do? That would have been a very easy, normal conversation, but in my head... I started thinking about all the things of what could go wrong with that conversation. And I had a great conversation in my head to say, nah. And I just walked on by. I get inside Nothing But Cakes to get my order. And in doing so, I just realized, God, you want me to go out and try and just put it out there and see if I can be helpful. I get my order and I walk back out. And like you'd expect, she's gone. And these are the opportunities, and they don't keep coming back all the time. A person I love and respect deeply, a mentor in my life, has said the older that he gets in his walk with the Lord, the more that he's noticing it's not so much overt sin, 
It's the sin of omission, things that he's failing to do when the opportunity's in front of him. There are opportunities we have to demonstrate humility, but sometimes we walk right by. Secondly, in your notes, humility is an action you can see. Humility is an action that you can see. So that's what's beautiful about today. We're not gonna read a sermon about humility. We're gonna see it demonstrated by Jesus. And it says in this passage that he loved them to the telos. He loved them to the end. That concept can be understood a couple different ways. One would be the finality, meaning to the end of his earthly relationship with them. Another could be this, though, the idea of completion. As he has been leading them, as they have been following the last three plus years, this is part of the completion of that training, is a demonstration of what humility looks like, taking on this role of a common household slave. Note that it's not a Hallmark card that he sends. Note that it's not a sermon that he gives, but an active illustration and says later, this is what you should do for one another. Cleaning down, getting down on the ground, cleaning the dust between their toes. It's a gross concept for us to think about, and rightly so, because it is. Verse two gives us another aspect of true humility in your notes. Humility is inclusive. Humility is inclusive. This one is challenging. Look at chapter 13, verse two. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. John knows as he's thinking about the the events now, literally decades later, he knows what's going on. He knows what Jesus knew that they didn't as disciples And he gives this understanding to us as readers, this is not going to be a surprise to Jesus, that Judas is going to betray him. He's aware. And even in that awareness, Thomas, John, James, Judas, Peter, would have definitely been your inclination, would have definitely been mine. Jesus Jesus gets down on his hands and knees, gets a water basin, and cleans the grime between the toes of the one who's going to betray him. That's humility. Humility not just talked about, humility demonstrated. And the interesting thing that we've said already, we would be able to focus on Judas and say, look at this, even Judas, Jesus would wash his feet. But remember, we've said earlier, the other 11 are going to desert him as well. There's a difference between betrayal and desertion, but the point is none of them will be there when he needs them the most. So you could say to a person, to a disciple, Jesus is washing the feet of those who are gonna show themselves faithless to him. Another dimension of Jesus' humility is found in verse 3. Humility flows from your understanding of your identity. Humility flows from an understanding of who you know yourself to be, your identity. Look at 13.3. Jesus knew. Jesus was consciously aware that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. As a result, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Chapter th- or verse 3 adds so much depth to the action of verses 4 and 5. Jesus, knowing these things intimately, takes this step of intense humility because he's aware of who he is. Look at this great quote, G.K. Chesterton. It's always the secure who are humble. Isn't that powerful? It's always the secure who are humble. I want you to see this today. In our minds, we would be blown away if in any type of organizational structure, the person who's at the point, the person who's at the lead would demonstrate humility. But I have to continue to remind me, I have to continue to remind you, Jesus is no other ordinary person. The God-man gets down on his knees and washes feet. And he says, you call me Lord and teacher, and rightly so. That's who I am. If I have the ability to do this for you, so you should have the ability, the attitude, the posture to do this for one another. Man, when you stop and think about of all the things that God could do to demonstrate service, to demonstrate love, to demonstrate humility... What an incredibly powerful action, an incredibly powerful thing to just sit and be a little bit floored by today. I can't believe that he would do that, but yet it's out of his clear understanding of who he is, who the Father is, what he's given to him, that he's able to make himself low to serve his disciples. This is the God who keeps loving us, who keeps bringing love, making it known to us in so many ways we never saw coming. C.S. Lewis again. I call this a divine humility. If God were proud, he would hardly have us on such terms, but he is not proud. He stoops to conquer. He will have us even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to him and come to him because there's nothing better to be had. Paul wrote similar words in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, watch, he humbled himself. Now, we're saying today that getting down on the ground and and washing disciples' feet is humiliating. How much more going to a Roman cross? He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We have appropriately titled this last sequence of John's gospel, 13 to 21, This is Love. And rightly so, we've put a cross very obviously in the graphic. But I want you to see all along this road the intense, amazing ways that Jesus is going to show love for his disciples. It's going to pop off the page time and time again. It culminates at the cross. But there are so many evidences of it along the way that we just keep saying, God, This is what it is to be loved by you. This is what love is, the expression of it looks like for us. 
and towards us and what we want to give towards others. Let's do this. Let's talk a little bit about foot washing. Let's just even get into this concept. Do me a favor today and do this wherever you're at, here indoors, on the pavilion online. Raise your hand if, if by someone else in a kind of church setting, I'm trying to caveat it, it could be really weird that you could have had your feet washed in a different way, but who's ever been involved in a foot washing type ceremony, okay? Good, it's a pretty good number of us. And if you've raised your hand and you've been involved, you know it's pretty intimate, especially if you got involved and you didn't know that was happening today. Oh man, I wore the socks with a hole in the toe. Snap! And, and someone's instructing you to take off your shoes and socks. And they're there at a basin of water and there's a towel. And they're literally going to apply clean water, maybe soap, to your feet. Wow. It's intimate. It's really something we don't do. And, and the problem is because we don't do it, it's hard for us to have a category for it, right? In the first century, though, it was very, very normal. And it was normal not because we would do it towards one another. It was normal because a servant did it. You've been walking out on mostly dirt roads, even those that are paved, and you're walking usually in sandals. You have open-toed shoes. You're walking everywhere in the heat of the summer. Oh, my word. Grimy, gross feet. And the reality is we'll see more next week because of the way that when they would come together to eat, you would actually, it would be just absolutely disgusting if you didn't wash feet. So when you walked in the door, you took sandals off, there would often be a servant waiting there with a basin of water, with a towel, and they would wash your feet. And in a weird way, you would think nothing of it because that was very normal. And it was most normal because it was them that was doing it, not you. That's what makes this narrative so profound. So in an effort to try to create a like-like, I came across an article a while back that really, it was a, a young lady trying to do the same thing. What is this like, this foot washing? And she wrote about a time when her brother and his four roommates were moving out of their apartment and needed help cleaning it to get back their deposit. Let your brain spin there for just a second. Four college-aged guys living together, and they're about to leave. They have not had a woman's touch of just, and I don't even mean like of, of, of being a, a place that has this sense of, 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 um, of just kind of beauty. I just mean basic cleanliness. I was, uh, for a summer, on a missions trip in Germany, and I lived with a single guy. And we had a great, amazing summer together and what God did. But in that time in living there, I didn't think much of it. But I remember there was a group that was kind of a musical group attached to this ministry that came to our town. And they came in and there was an, a time we needed to kind of take showers and, and in turn and then get on the road. And this group had some girls. And they literally got into the bathroom and I heard a scream. It was so gross. And so they did what this lady who wrote about this, the same concept, and then see kind of the parallels. See the parallels that when you move out of, a, of an apartment, it is expected that you would clean up. That's a normal thing. See that there was this sense of, of in doing so, you would get into some intimate places. This is people's stuff. This is where they have been living. 
And then see the idea that this is often reserved for somebody other than yourself. We hire cleaning services to do these things. So in some ways, there's some really good parallels. As I was trying to think, what would be a good parallel to this concept? Some of those things really connect the dots. This is what she wrote. I found the relevant updated example, this as a relevant updated example of how to serve a friend, in this case, her brother. He didn't need me to wash his feet. He truly did need me to clean his bathtub. That, that puts it a little bit more in a context we can relate to. That's the, the humility of this idea of foot washing. Next in the narrative, verses 6 through 11, is this dialogue we read between Jesus and Peter. And Peter, again, demonstrates, as he does often in the Gospels, he just doesn't get it. Now, I'm going to say, he often says what the other disciples are thinking. They're just kind of like, we'll let you keep doing it. But he's like, Jesus, I'm not going to let you do this. I'm not going to let you be my servant. Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm doing for you. I need to do this. Peter says, not just my feet, but give me a bath. And maybe one of the best things to take away from that exchange is simply this. Even when we don't understand what Jesus is doing in our lives, the best response is simply, yes, Lord. I don't understand why you would need to or why you would want to wash my feet, but yes, Lord. You're the one doing it. I'm just going to let you lead. The passage concludes as Jesus reveals that it wasn't only an act of humble service, but an active object lesson depicting their need to show humility towards one another. He reminds them of the inverseness of the roles. Everyone in a logical way would have thought some of, one of us should pick up the towel in the basin and be washing Jesus' feet. Jesus says, you know that didn't happen and it didn't happen for a reason because I've come to serve, not to be served. And my followers follow suit. This is something you should do towards one another. Verse 15 makes it clear. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Simply put, we are called to be a people who demonstrate humility towards one another. He concludes by promising that there will be reward. God blesses the life who lives in humility towards other people. And I don't know about you, but that's just such an incredibly powerful thing to me to think about the promises that God has made that I often don't remember or I don't hold on to because if they're from him, you can take him to the bank. They are reliable and he is going to be good for it. So man, if there's something even motivation-wise you need to hear today about living, I need to hear today about living a more, in a more humble posture towards others. Just know that Jesus says that's a life that's going to be blessed. So as you look at this passage, here's how I want to finish today. I want you and I to evaluate our humility. I want you to evaluate the way that we're going to walk out this week. Number one in your notes, do you recognize Jesus' command that you live a life of humility towards others? Is that something that we're picking up today? Philippians 2, 3, it's the earlier part of what we just read. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Why? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And what we just read earlier, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. 
We saw earlier that humility is not something you can practice by yourself. It can only be demonstrated in the context of relationships. Humility only happens in community. Evidenced by the one another's. Isn't it interesting that so many of the one another's have a humility to them? Simply said, serve one another. Simply said, honor one another. Bear with one another. Submit to one another. These are all some of the one another's that definitely have this posture and attitude of humility built in. But I want to say this. If you're not in a small group here at Trinity Church, you don't have a way to do life with other people and be able to exercise the one another's towards them. You see, when we gather together for corporate worship, a lot of great things happen. And our weekly goal is to say, God, when we come together, help us be preoccupied with Jesus. Help us walk out of here both healed and prepared and equipped to go out and live a life this week that is rooted and reaching. That's the purpose of what we do here. But the purpose of why we gather week in and week out on a Sunday is not primarily for community. It's not primarily that of fellowship and living out the one another's. That happens in smaller contexts. It happens in groups. And what we've done as we start this New Year's creates some really obvious on-ramps. Jared mentioned them earlier today, right out on the pavilion. It's real obvious where it talks about groups that are available between men's groups, women's groups, home groups, rooted groups are starting back. All of that's available to you. And I would say, if you're not in community where you're able to live out those one another's, then the one another's sound more like this. Serve yourself. Honor yourself. Be devoted to yourself. That's obviously not the point. It's one of our core values that we would be a people as we live towards each other and towards Jesus, a people that pursue spiritual growth and life change together in community. So I want to remind you, this is the time we've created seasonal on-ramps for you to get involved and get on board. And I would just say, don't miss that opportunity as we begin a brand new semester kind of together. Also in your notes, do you, under, do you demonstrate humility in obvious actions that benefit those in your relational world? Do you demonstrate humility in such a way in obvious actions that benefit those in your relational world? While it's important to live a lifestyle of humility towards all people, it tends to be most vivid in the lives of those that are under your authority or oversight. Great quote from Ben Franklin. He said, to be humble to superiors is duty. To equals, courtesy. To inferiors, nobleness. I would just change the end of that quote, to inferiors, Christ-like. That, that's kind of the essence of what we've been looking at today. So think about some of these roles that you live in where there are people who are under your supervision, under your leadership. If you're here today with us and you're a husband, think about the way in your mind you have delegated in your mind, well, that's women's work. And you have allowed certain things in your household. Maybe every once in a while you'll step into a space, but like that's her job. Humility and a lifestyle of it means I'm going to make that man's work. I'm going to take that on, take that off her plate and make that something that I can contribute. You're welcome. <laughs> if you're a parent... If you're a parent listening today, obviously, and of kids that are still at home, 
Man, as you're thinking about that role, it is so easy. I do this so much. It's so easy to be in my own world and forget about the things that my kids enjoy, that they would love. They've even asked me to be a part of, and I'm like, well, I got this. As a parent, one of the ways that we demonstrate humility is to enjoy the things they enjoy. Get down on the floor, play with them in their things, and demonstrate that kind of humility where it's not simply join me in doing mine. If you're a teacher, be humble enough. Some of you, I've said this before, it's interesting how easy it is to slip in this. Be humble enough that when you don't know the answer to something, just say it. How many times have you been, there's someone up on a board, someone asks a question and you just keep talking. But it's clear you don't know the answer to what was asked. How beautiful of humility to say, that is a great question. Let me go find that out and I'll get back to you tomorrow. Man, that answer works. That answer's real, that answer's honest, and that answer's appreciated because no one expects that you know everything about everything. Humility. If you're a manager, think about taking some least desirable shifts and allow yourself to be in a place where you serve with others and not just the optimum times when you wanna be there. Think of what that communicates to people who report to you. You might be here today and you're an older sibling and you have younger siblings who don't know how to tie their shoes and it's so irritating every time. You're like, mom, dad, just buy him Velcro. <laughs> younger brothers and sisters who are working on their multiplication tables do those things with them. Come alongside, get down low, humble yourself and be someone who doesn't be, have to be asked to help, but you simply find the need and help. This is what it looks like in our relational worlds to those that we have some leadership over. In your notes, is your humility reserved only for certain people? Are there certain people who deserve your humility? And if your attitude, if my attitude is like that, then read the words of Peter whose feet were washed that night. 1 Peter 5, 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Next question, do you have a firm grasp of who you are so that humility can become a way of life for you? Do you have a firm grasp on who you are? So therefore, to humble yourself is not earth-shattering. It's not my whole existence is gonna fall apart because I'm gonna be lower than someone else right now. Spurgeon said it this way, humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. It's a great quote. Just having a, an honest awareness of who you are. And in relation to who you are, relation to who I am in Christ, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My identity is in him. If you've been praying, and I know many of you have, for various people in your relational world, that they would be wooed, that they would be drawn to Jesus by a work in, in their hearts that you know only God can do. I wonder, though, how much actions of humility towards them would speak so much louder than an invite to come and join me at church. These are all ways that God has positioned us to be his followers. 
This is what he says. This is love. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today as a people, as we start this brand new year, as we get back into this study of just such important uh, conversations, teachings, demonstrations that Jesus is going to have with his disciples. Remind us that we today, 2,000 years later, we claim that same reality. We are your disciples. So as you taught them, teach us. As you showed them humility from your word today, show us the power of what that looks like, the need of what that looks like in our lives demonstrated towards others. And Father, as we as a church family, as we live more and more out this idea, the greatest of these is love. And a part of that love is a demonstration of genuine, consistent humility towards one another. Think of just how incredible that is to experience Jesus' followership to serve and not come to be served. God, help us to enter into the divine, enter into his life by living like he did. You may be here today and you would say, well, Todd, I, I don't really have any kind of connection to God. I don't have any kind of relationship with Jesus. And I would say that today is the day that you can do something about that. Today is the day that you can move away from religion or away from information to an actual relationship of followership. It begins by A, admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior. B, believe that Jesus, this God-man who got on his knees and served his own disciples, believe that he also went all the way to the cross and he did it for you. That demonstration of selfless love. Believe he's the only savior available. C is choose. Choose to say, God, I'm gonna put my confidence, my trust in what you've done, what you've accomplished through Jesus, not in what I can do for you. And in doing so, I'm gonna live my life following his example towards others. You can make that decision right here, right now, and I pray not another moment would go by before you do. Father, we love you this week. Help us not just be in awe of your example of humility. Help us find ways to live it. We love you and pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.